Hello, dear podcast listeners. I'm your cannon-firing co-host, Kate, here with just a few notes before we start our regular program. We do our best to keep this podcast safe for work and family. However, we would be remiss in discussing our current focus, Audrey Lord, without talking about her use of the erotic with a capital E. Because of this, we spend a good portion of this episode talking about eroticism, sex, and pornography. Please take this into account when making listening choices for yourself and any little ones in the area. Additionally, during this episode, we get into a pre heated discussion about tone policing fueled by a fair amount of righteous anger. We believe these discussions should take place and should be heard uncensored, but I thought it was important to warn those who might struggle with anger or heightened emotion, like me for example, that this episode is very impassioned. Choose your context wisely, and if you're not up for dealing with a very emotional discussion right now, then maybe skip this one. Just a bit of housekeeping. Uh, Due to some stuff in our lives, both personal and professional, we are not currently able to continue producing episodes on a weekly basis without sacrificing quality and accessibility. And since we really think that those things are important, uh, we will be going by a bi-weekly schedule right now. Um, You might be able to tell because I'm the one doing this and not G, but we're all a little swamped right now. And we appreciate your patience and your continued listenership and hope that you enjoy what we put out and what we continue to put out. We appreciate you all. Now, that's enough of me talking. Um, Without further ado, the final part of our trilogy on Audre Lorde. The White Fathers told us, I think, therefore I am. The Black Mother within each of us, the poet, Whispers in our dreams, I feel, therefore I can be free. Poetry coins the language to express and character this revolutionary demand, the implementation of that freedom. Audre Lord, poetry is not a luxury. Children gather around, come sit by the cannon fire. Come and join the conversation. Children gather around, if written works are your desire, come and sit beside the flame of the cannon fire. Hello, everybody, all three of you that listen. Um, welcome to Cannon Fire. It is... This is a nerdy literary podcast focusing on the stories, creations, and histories of literary figures too red hot for the Western canon. I am G, the editor and resident layman of the podcast. I'm Caitlin. I like books. (laughs) I'm Zoe. I am the poet and aspiring librarian of the podcast. Caitlin also writes books, so. (laughs) I like books. In this episode, we are continuing our discussion of Audre Lorde, who is a, as I described her in the past couple episodes, a lesbian woman of color who was as bold as she was unapologetic. If you guys, do you guys have any descriptions to add to that? She is radical, socialist, full-on intersectional feminist, scholar, teacher, mother. Nice. Yeah, she's She's words I can't say. <laughs> I would say she doesn't care what you think of her, but that would imply that she's thought of you at any point in her life. Dang. So this is normally where I would announce new patrons and sponsors, but since we don't have any sponsors and we don't have any new patrons as of this week, 
I will just beg you, like, a lot, like, on my knees, begging, to go and donate to our Patreon. Um, and there you can get even more awesome nerdy content, and that's at patreon.com backslash cannonfirepodcast. Slash. Forward slash. Okay. It is forward slash cannonfirepodcast. It's where the slash is at the top. Moving on. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's happening. So, also, you can also rate and review us on iTunes, and yes. you can share us with your friends. Please, if we talk about somebody that you really want more people to know about. Please advertise for us. Also, and suggest other authors for us because yes. we've got a long list, but we don't know everything, and you guys do. So. You tell us. Also, if you know anyone who works at Stitch Fix, we would love to promote them for money. Yes, we would. Or more clothes. I wouldn't mind free clothes. Stitch Fix, get on this. Or MeUndies. Yeah. I have three MeUndies. Yeah, I'm down for that, too. (laughs) I am down for that. And now, sit back and relax into your lit class for today. Episode 6, Part 3, Deliberate and Afraid of Nothing. So what'd you think of that quote? I liked it. I liked it too. So we had mentioned this before in uh, Patreon content, but there's this misconstrued idea that because of this quote, there are many communities that can claim blackness and claim community with um, black Americans. This quote is not saying that. This quote is saying that the start of humanity came from a black woman And that legacy is in each of us, but you have not experienced the black experience if you are white. Right. Or any other color. If you're not black, you haven't experienced the black experience. I'm Native American. Well, I'm actually mixed race, so I have not experienced the Native American experience. And I've closer experienced the white experience than anything else because I am white passing. But I have experienced a mixed race experience, which is different from somebody who is mixed black and Chinese, for example, or something else, you know? Yeah. Um, and so you can't take that and throw it at black people and say, right. I know what you've been through. You don't know what they've been through. What Audrey Lord is saying is get in touch with the legacy of where you have come from, with the legacy of humanity, which comes from black matriarchal traditions, because Africa was the birthplace of homo sapiens yes and we migrated everywhere else she also as far as we know yes yes. (laughs) and she also uses poet and poetry different than what you would assume she says i speak here of poetry as a revelatory distillation of experience not the sterile wordplay that too often the white fathers distorted the word poetry to mean in order to cover a desperate wish wish for imagination without insight that right there is why i hate poetry or hated poetry that what she just described is the reason that all the way through high school and college i hated poetry because my only experience with poetry was that yeah and it's not it doesn't speak to me it speaks to someone i'm sure white men probably (laughs) But it doesn't speak to me, so I never enjoyed it, and I never understood that it was profound, even though some people thought it was. So. Yeah. So, uh, Poetry is Not a Luxury is a very short essay um, that Audre Lorde wrote. I'm reading uh, 
most of what we'll be talking about today from Sister Outsider, which is a compilation of like 15 or so essays, interviews, etc. with Audre Lorde and various other people. Um, so going on with that, um, she has an interview with Adrian Rich, who we will also be talking about in a future episode. I can see. Um, she was actually very close with Adrian Rich. Um, Audre Lorde and Rich and, uh, Audre Lorde's one of Audre Lorde's lifetime partners, Gloria I. Joseph, um, in 1981, uh, created a symposium for women writers in the Virgin Islands. Um, and they were all there. And so Audre Lorde actually was pretty, like, tight with Adrienne Rich, which I think was really cool because they were both mothers, if I remember correctly. Um, and so in this written interview, um, Audre Lorde says, The human race is evolving through women, that it's not by accident that there are more and more women. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Women being born, women surviving. And we've got to take that promise of new power seriously, or we'll make the same mistakes all over again. Unless we learn the lessons of the black mother in each of us, the start of humanity. Uh, whether we are black or not, I believe this power exists in men also, but they choose not to deal with it, which is, as I learned, their right. Hopefully this choice can be affected, but I don't know. I don't believe this shift from conquering problems to experiencing life is a one-generational shot or a single investment. I believe it's a whole signature which you try to set in motion and have some input into. But I'm not saying that women don't think or analyze or that white does not feel. I'm saying we must never close our eyes to the terror, to the chaos, which is black, which is creative, which is female, which is dark, which is rejected, which is messy, which is sinister, smelly, erotic, confused, and upsetting. Interesting. Yeah. I just, I like her so much more than I've liked anyone in the past that I've read. Like, in terms of poetry. Yeah. You know, and like, that's why I, again, you you and Kate especially introduced me to poetry in terms of it being written, one, in modern times, and two, by anyone other than straight white men. And... As soon as I read the first poem Kate ever sent me, and granted, this was a little self-centered because the first poem Kate ever sent me was about me, but <laughs> that being said, I loved it and understood it and thought it was amazing and hilarious, and it was short, and it was things that I had said, and of course, I think I'm freaking hilarious anyway, but it made sense as a poem more than any other poem had made sense to me, and I loved that. It's like that kind of experience. And it's very frustrating to me that, that that's not what we learn in high school. Yeah. Because I don't mind learning about straight white men, but I don't want to learn about just straight white men, you know? Yeah. Which I believe is the problem a lot of people are having. Yeah. She also wrote an essay titled Uses of the Erotic, which I want to touch on. Because Audre Lorde, she learned this from her mother, but her mother would make up words that didn't exist to create new meaning. And so Audre Lorde took that and uses words that everybody knows, but redefines them um, to 
make a liberation point. And so for her, she says the erotic has often been misnamed by men and used against women. It has been made into the confused, the trivial, the psychotic, the plasticized sensation. For this reason, we have often turned away from the exploration and consideration of the erotic as a source of power and information, confusing it with its opposite, the pornographic. But pornography is a direct denial of the power of the erotic, for it represents the suppression of true feeling. Pornography emphasizes sensation without feeling. So, just because I'm curious, is is this implying that she's anti-pornography, or is it just implying that it's two different things? It's two different things okay. for her. Because a lot of people nowadays are very anti-pornography, and I don't think that that's that they're paying attention to the big picture. Because I am very yeah. anti-abuse in pornography, but that's kind of what she's saying. Though, yeah. is that she's saying mm-hmm. that like true pornography in the bad sense is that is the pornography that objectifies people, that right. reduces them, that makes them nothing more than something sexual or in a not even sexual something to be used as some kind of relief and then erotic is about feeling it's about uh connection it's about genuine recognition of another human's humanity right yeah a lot of times when you read academic essays on thought on theory it's very gatekeeping it's very inaccessible to laymen Audre Lorde wrote essays in a way that they were published in any magazine that they could be published. A lot of the ones in Sister Outsider have been previously published in other publications. But she wrote in a way that she just outlined and led people. And so she says, The very word erotic comes from the Greek word eros, the personification of love in all its aspects, born of chaos and personifying creative power and harmony. When I speak of the erotic, then, I speak of it as an assertion of the life force of women, of that creative energy empowered, the knowledge and use of which we are now reclaiming in our language, our history, our dancing, our loving, our work, our lives. There are frequent attempts to equate pornography and eroticism to diametrically opposed uses of the sexual. This is one reason why the erotic is so feared and so often relegated to the bedroom alone when it is recognized at all. It's kind of the difference between, uh, like, people who don't have a problem with seeing, like, a woman in a bikini selling you beer, but if you talk about sex, they'll get all up their own selves about it. Or women choosing sex, they get upset about it, yeah. Yeah, it's like... The the poster is the pornographic, and that's acceptable yes. because it doesn't actually involve human interaction at all or human connection. But if you talk about, like, people get shamed for having sex in certain situations or um, under certain contexts or with certain people because that's erotic. That's something that's pushed away and frowned upon, which is pretty gross. Just my progressively minded self is having trouble distinguishing the two still because I do understand where it's mm-hmm. where it's wrong. What I don't like is that she used porn pornography as the the bad kind of and eroticism as the good because I don't think that pornography is inherently bad because what pornography is is just watching something else for your own pleasure. Um 
and pornography can be and is empowering to some people. So I'm having trouble kind of connecting that in my head with what she's saying necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like it. It's just for me, I think a little bit more than I, a little bit further than I think I would go even, mm-hmm. I think is what I would say. I think she's using pornography as like the simplification that the patriarchy um, benefits from. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. I don't think she, I very much don't think that she's against physical expression of feeling of joy of loving. I mean, even for the entertainment of someone else. I don't, I don't know. Because that's what I see pornography as, is it's it's that stuff for I mean, the but, entertainment of someone else. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that unless someone is coerced or forced or mm-hmm. hurt or harmed in any way. Okay, but think of, like, pornography versus erotica. They're the same thing. Erotica is just writing sex. But erotica is also expressly written for the sake of somebody else experiencing pleasure in response. Bodice Busters are not written absent of emotion. They're not written in absent of feeling. That's the whole point. They're supposed to evoke a sense of connection with the work. And I think that's the thing she's trying to say is like um, porn in the sense that she's talking about. She's talking about like mass produced objectification. objectification. So like stuff that I haven't watched enough porn to talk about it. Um, (laughs) See, yeah, we're getting into the realm of not safe for work, I think. And I think we should put a warning at the beginning of this episode. That being said, I just I feel like you say objectification, but cover your little one's ears. Some people like to be objectified even, but that's consensual objectification. And if it's happening in porn, then who are we to say no to it? I figured out the difference. Okay. I figured out the difference, at least for Lord. So- I think Lord's problem when she's talking about pornography isn't doesn't allow for consent because it objectifies the set of people rather than it's individual. That makes people. sense. So yeah. it's, that makes it, it's sense. Fe- it's fetishization, something that reinforces stereotypes or reinforces an idea of a person as sexual when they don't want to be. That's what she's talking about when she's talking about pornography. Erotica focuses on people, individual people being individual people. So the thing that is erotic about one person, the thing that they present for themselves is different from somebody else. And those two can both evoke a similar response. But the idea is that it's being distinguished between people and it's recognizing people as individuals and as their own selves. Whereas the kind of pornography she's talking about is presenting like this level or this specific standard for often women, but not necessarily women, sometimes gay men, sometimes straight men, um, for other people to judge them by or for other people to assume their reactions by. Um, There's also the non-consensual power play mm -hmm. of the pornography that she's talking about, where it's like, it's also behind the scenes they're being taken advantage of. That's the pornography she's familiar right. with. Right. Also, I think I think she is not just talking about like pornography in the sense of it being online. I think she is talking about things like posters or um media or whatever right. where things the, meant to objectify a person. Yes. Right. And also that won't necessarily offer the audience a choice in participating right. in Right. It's the things I have a problem with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it was just hard for me to put the things together in my head in this essay the whole point of bringing in pornography as the opposing force is because when 
women are allowed to express their sexuality in mainstream media, they're reduced to that power play in or they're seen or they're seen as a threat. Yeah, but it's the whole potential, especially for black female sexuality, the potential for being taken advantage of without the audience knowing that they're being taken advantage of portrayed a certain way, fetishized a certain way. And so her idea of the erotic is women owning their sexuality, their whole sexuality, not just their sexual energy portrayal. But she sees the erotic in the essay as something inherently almost like a soul of somebody. It affects every single aspect of their life. She sees writing like a poem as tapping into the erotic. It's very similar to Joy Harjo's connection with the largeness of nature, where she was like, this is a source of poetry. Audre Lorde's erotic is on the same playing field as Joy Harjo's source of poetry, where you tap into that, you give back to it, you find joy in it, you express the entirety of your emotions, the entirety of your experience. Right. So she found in poetry what I find in saying, I'm, I'm gay as heck. There you go. <laughs> Audre Lorde says, the erotic is a measure between the beginnings of our sense of self and the chaos of our strongest feelings. There's nothing about sexuality right. in there. It's where you stand in yourself and how you interact with the world. Because Audre Lorde couldn't escape all of her identities at all. She she was attacked for her identities often. She had to defend herself. And so owning any strength that she could was a point of defiance and a point of uh, courage as a lesbian black woman in the 60s at yeah. this point. You know, like every single time that she stepped out her door and for black trans women, it's every single time that they step out the door. And for people who don't pass as the gender that they identify as, it's every single time that they leave their house that they could be not coming back. Like, and that's the reality that she lived with. That's the reality that millions of people around the world live with. And so the bravery of saying, no, claim your erotic as your soul, that's some armor that she carries with her um oh this goes back to what zoe was talking about in the beginning is she redefines words mm -hmm. right what she's doing is she is liberating these words from the patriarchal connotations that we know them within i like in that. this essay that's what she did in all of her essays um and she would call out people and she would call out communities for not doing this every single breath that she took she was trying to uplift people and trying to give them freedom and right even if it's just freedom and language that they use because she's able to get her own freedom from writing these essays um and having other people misunderstand her is not her problem because that's how they are trapped within those confines of that definition She's like, I'm presenting a new definition. Right. Which is why I liked that we stopped and, and broke that down because we didn't understand it. And so we wanted to try and understand it from her perspective. Yeah. That essay is one of our previous professor's favorite essays. Hmm. Is it the one I'm thinking of? It's the uh, mother with the adorable daughter. <gasps> have I we named her. Have we named her yet? No. 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 But she's amazing. 
Um, moving on, there's just one sentence that I want to read out loud because, yes, um, this is how she starts an essay. This is how amazing Audre Lorde is and just hitting you where it hurts is black feminism is not white feminism in blackface. Oh, whoa. I like that. I like that a lot. Right? I want that, like, embroidered in my bathroom. I love that a lot. She writes, um, this is the, the first sentence of her essay, Sexism, an American Disease, and Blackface. And she's like, black feminism is not white feminism and blackface. And period. Let's go. That's like, I wish more people knew about her. I wish I had known about her sooner because that's like... I really like that. I I hate that it has to carry over to today, but I like that it does. Yes. You know. There's also the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house, um, which is where one of her most famous quotes comes from. Um, it's it's a paragraph. We'll go with from there. Um, those of us who stand outside the circle of this society's definition of acceptable women, those of us who have been forged in the crucibles of difference, those of us who are poor, who are lesbians, who are black, who are older, know that survival is not an academic skill. It is learning how to stand alone, unpopular, and sometimes reviled, and how to make common cause with those others identified as outside the structures in order to define and seek a world in which we can all flourish. It is learning how to take our differences and make them strengths, for the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. They may allow us temporarily to beat him at his own game, but they will never enable us to bring about genuine change. Well, that <laughs> is a whole mood. Yes. I would usually curse. We have that, that quote. That, that is a mood. <laughs> We have that quote on our uh, vision board. Yeah, we do. <laughs> that is just like I oh I'm 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 kind of just angry that people don't seem to understand that. Still, you know, just it's very frustrating. That whole sentence was a clapback to anybody who told black women how to explain. And how to calmly tell their adversaries I why they're upset. Hate. I hate being tone policed. Yes. I hate it. It is the most upsetting thing. Like, well, you shouldn't you you shouldn't yell if you want to be listened to. Nobody's listening to me whenever I'm talking calmly. So yeah, I'm gonna get frustrated and I shouldn't have to apologize for getting frustrated with you just because you don't want to listen and learn. That is not my fault. It is not my problem. If you're acting like a jerk, I'm going to get frustrated and I'm going to get upset. Why are you allowed to get upset and I'm not? You know? You see this time and time again. You especially have seen this now with Serena Williams and how her treatment and, well, and, and tennis tournaments is different. Women are tone policed by men. Yes. And people of color are tone policed by white people. Yes. So I'm, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm not a woman, I'm, but... As a female-bodied person, I fit into both of those categories. And so I'm tone-policed by people all the time, and it drives me up the freaking wall. It's so annoying. Like, stop tone-policing people. 
If they're angry with you, it's because you haven't been listening this whole time. If they're angry with you, then you need to stop and listen. And if you don't stop and listen, then you can't complain about whatever comes your way because that's karma. I honestly, let, let me just even go a little step further. We don't need white saviors, white saviorism either. Of course we don't need white saviorism. Though white people would love to feel like they're correcting their own mistakes, white saviorism is unnecessary in this world because if you actually corrected your mistakes, you wouldn't have to betray yourself as a white savior. And honestly, if you feel attacked by something a person of color says, it's probably because they're saying it about you. If you don't feel attacked, then don't worry about it because it's not about you. You know? Yeah. We have more energy. The whole point of Audre Lorde writing these essays is pointing out the energy that we are spending destroying our own communities because of the constructs that we live in. Right. Because of the the constructs that people have placed on us. Yes. It's ridiculous. And it's caused infighting in many different communities on every single intersection that you've ever encountered because... And gatekeeping and all that other stuff. All those other problems. And tone policing is just a waste of energy for everybody yeah, except for the white man because the white man doesn't gain anything from tone policing. No, they gain everything from tone policing. That's true, but they don't like use any energy when they're telling that. They don't lose anything from tone policing. Yes. Like the rest of us But they gain everything. Yeah. Because it forces everybody else to waste their energy trying to appease the tone. Right, and I don't try to appease it anymore. If I get sent to Facebook jail, I get sent to Facebook jail. Nazis don't like being told that they're wrong. <laughs> um, another quote that I just really love um, is, as we reclaim our literature, poetry has been the major voice of poor working class and colored women. A room of one's own may be a necessity for writing prose, but so are reams of paper, a typewriter, and plenty of time. This is a call-out sentence. This is calling out, I believe it was Virginia Woolf. It I was mean, Virginia Woolf. Hang on, Woolf. as opposed to all the rest of her poems? Yeah, no, like <laughs> this is a straight call-out poem. <laughs> she is saying, she's saying everything but writing down Virginia Woolf's name. Yeah. At Virginia Wolf. She's Twitter posting. Hey, at Virginia Wolf. Can you imagine <laughs> these? I want, I want us to do someone more modern just so that we can go on their Twitter and be like, all right, who are we putting on blast today? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that would be so cool. But Virginia Wolf wrote this essay, very famous essay titled A Room of One's Own. And in it, she basically only promotes the advancement of white women authors. Right, like T. Swifty. Yes. Whoop. I just said that out loud. <laughs> um, and so I'm, I, I just love that sentence that Audre Lorde is like, hey, Virginia Woolf, I see you. And also, you're not, that's not the only answer that female authors can follow. <laughs> but she also has a sentence that is totally for our podcast. Um, the literature of women of color is seldom included in women's literature courses and almost never in other literature courses, nor in women's studies as a whole. All too often, the excuse given is that the literatures of women of color can only be taught by colored women, or that they are too difficult to understand, or that that class, or that class cannot get into them because they come out of experiences that are too different. I don't want to try to understand somebody that I don't understand because it's just not worth my time. Like, I just don't really care. 
So I'm just going to keep living my life in a bubble and I'm going to be mad at the world whenever I don't understand why they hate me. That's what I'm hearing. That was a perfect mission, girl. (laughs) (laughs) White U.S. missionary. (laughs) Impression, if I ever heard one. I went to, that's who I went to school with was, you know, Baptist college. That's who I went to school with is people who were like, I just want to serve the Lord in like Africa because they're all poor there. And like, no, they're not. No, honey, sweetie. No. So Audre Lorde, this is the epitome, in my opinion, of Audre Lorde. This is where she really shines. Um, She says, my response to racism is anger. I have lived with that anger, ignoring it, feeding upon it, learning to use it before it laid my visions to waste for most of my life. Once I did it in silence, afraid of the weight. My fear of anger taught me nothing. Your fear of that anger will teach you nothing also. Women responding to racism means women responding to anger, the anger of exclusion, of unquestioned privilege, of racial distortions, of silence, ill use, stereotyping, defensiveness, misnaming, betrayal, and co-optation. My anger is a response to racist attitudes and to the actions and presumptions that arise out of those attitudes. If your dealings with other women reflect those attitudes, then my anger and your attendant fears are spotlights that can be used for growth in the same way I have used learning to express anger for my growth, but for corrective surgery, not guilt. Guilt and defensiveness are bricks in a wall against which we all flounder. They serve none of our futures. I like that. Yeah. This is the thing that I... I have problems with my anger um, because... I come from, it's just a family history thing. It's just, you know, neurological thing in our family. We just have trouble. I think it's probably the ADHD that runs in our family. We have trouble controlling our emotions. So I have a lot of trouble controlling any emotion, you know, uh, jealousy, anger, happiness, anything. Um, it's just always a lot. Um, and sometimes can get overwhelming to the point that, you know, I'll cry or I'll act out or I'll scream. And, and so I've had, to learn to use my anger constructively because I'm angry about things that are unjust and unrighteous. And so my anger is directed in the right, in the correct direction. I'm just having to learn how to channel it. And so I, I appreciate that somebody else, um, that somebody else struggled with this. Somebody so famous and so influential struggled with this and that she can give advice about it because I know that there are other people out there who struggle with it too. She said, um, she gives instances in this essay. This essay is really good because there are bullet points documenting racism against her and sexism against her. And so one bullet point says, after I read from my work entitled Poems for Women in Rage, a white woman asks me, are you going to do anything with how we can deal directly with our anger? I feel it's so important. I ask, how do you use your rage. And then I have to turn away from the blank look in her eyes before she can invite me to participate in her own annihilation. I do not exist to feel her anger for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, ooh, that's a line that I wish I'd been able to use. You, I don't know if I made this into a rant, but I told you all about that Facebook argument that I had in that group, right? The, um, I don't want to say the name of the group yeah. out loud because it's another podcast group. Yeah. Uh, um, but that, I feel like you've 
referenced it. Okay. I I had a lot of trouble with that because a lot of the people there wanted me to feel their anger for them. A lot of people there wanted me to educate them on the stuff. The people doing their jobs. Right. A lot they of, were being paid yes. to do. Yes. Well, not even being paid. They weren't they weren't being paid, they but they had been chosen. They had volunteered yeah. to do this and then they weren't doing their jobs. Um and then there were people just in the group that were expecting me to explain things to them whenever it was it could be easily googled they were expecting me to explain my explain my anger they were expecting me to like and i understand because i made a vague post and i got you know it it was rude and it was upset i was upset about it but that being said it doesn't take it doesn't take sherlock holmes to go back through my recent posts and see what i was upset about mm-hmm. it and you can do that on Facebook. Facebook has that option, you guys. If you want to know what the drama is, just click on the person. They'll tell you. You'll see it. I promise. It's very easy to find drama on Facebook that way. It's one of my favorite pastimes. That being said, it frustrates me when other people don't do that because they expect something that I'm frustrated about and and hoping to vent about to just be automatically explained to them. And then I get bombarded with anger because like i said people think that they are being put on blast and if you if 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 you don't feel put on blast by this then it's it doesn't apply to you and you shouldn't be bothered by it so leave it alone you know but if you're not leaving it alone it's because you should be bothered by it because you're causing a problem so yeah so this i think might speak to your experience g at least a little bit Women of color in America have grown up within a symphony of anger at being silenced, at being unchosen, at knowing that when we survive, it is in spite of a world that takes for granted our lack of humanness and which hates our very existence outside of its service. And I say symphony rather than cacophony because we have had to learn to orchestrate those furies so that they do not tear us apart. We've had to learn to move through them and use them for strength and force and insight within our daily lives. Those of us who did not learn this difficult lesson did not survive, and part of my anger is always libation for my fallen sisters. Yep. Mm-hmm. Audrey Lord could be taught pretty much by anybody, if you actually follow. Yeah. Well, and not just that, but there are so many angry teenagers out there who this would help so much. Right? If If we would just teach it. Because so many times the response is anger is not useful. Control your anger. You don't, don't need be to control angry. your emotions. Your emotions are valid. What you control is your response to your emotions. Yeah. You are allowed to be angry. You are allowed to feel anger. You are allowed to feel hurt or embarrassed or happy or sad or, you know, any emotion. You are allowed to feel that emotion. What you are not allowed to do is take it out on somebody else. What you should not be doing is directing your, um, emotions in an unhelpful or uh, problematic or deconstructive way you know so what we have to learn is not how to control our emotions because that's impossible what we need to learn is how to direct our emotions positively and helpfully you know and that's what she's teaching and nobody else teaches that no at all nobody else had the the words the way to express themselves the way that audrey lord can write essays yeah because audrey lord just lays out a problem says this is what this community has dealt with i see homophobia in the black community i see sexism in the white community i see racism in white men i see racism towards white like from white women towards me i see 
people judging me for how I look before I speak. And I'm angry at all of these responses. And I'm not the only one because I have talked to other women who have dealt with this. I've dealt with breast cancer. I've dealt with womanhood. I've dealt with motherhood. I've dealt with being black in school. I've dealt with being a black woman owning my sexuality. I have been in the South. I've been in the North. I've been abroad. I have seen our entire world of women going through same experiences. And I've talked to these women at conferences and I've talked to my daughter and I see my same experiences reflected back to me. And it makes me feel like I failed as a parent, but I didn't fail as a parent because she's still alive. And there's all these things that she mentions. That paragraph that I read out loud is one of many that is a semblance of connection, of community that Audre Lorde is putting on paper for people who have experienced what she's experienced to feel like they're not alone. But it's also a slap in the face to everybody else who hasn't had to think on all of those levels about how to get through the day because they haven't dealt with hatred to the extent that female presenting bodies of color have in America. And we on that topic, and I think Kate may have something more to say about this, the uh, this this even uh, to to bring it even further in people who are um, neurotypical and able-bodied can understand what it takes to go through the day if you are not neurotypical and able-bodied. And Kate, I know that you struggle a lot with just going through your day because of your anxiety and depression. It is difficult. You have to think out almost, and you don't have to, but your brain makes you think, think out, out every, every single interaction. interaction. Yeah. Um, that's actually one of the reasons that that particular essay is hard hard for me to deal with is because uh, anger to me, no matter for what reason, the response that my brain gives is panic. Yeah. So I can't listen to people. So, which which makes uh, it's well and it 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 this is why I brought you into this so that we could kind of like chill out because me and Zoe were getting angry and getting uh excited and I could see it stressing you out and that's something that you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis as a person and yeah and it's something that I've had to figure out because I don't want people to not be angry I understand the reasons behind their anger but I know that for me it's very hard to deal with because my brain defaults to if there's anger there is a conflict confrontation. If there was a confrontation, somebody could get hurt, maybe not physically, but emotionally. Something could go wrong. It could all fall apart. And my anxiety brain comes up with all of these different scenarios in which coming out of an angry... And it's not just anger. It can be frustration. It can be sadness. But all of these scenarios that my brain comes up with, the only outcome is bad. And so it's really hard for me to deal... Uh, I said before, I don't know if we were recording them, but I'm the Samwise Gamgee of social justice. Yeah. I can't participate. I, I have learned that the most I can participate in terms of, of social justice political change is like marches and calling my politicians because I can't deal being around other people's anger, no matter how much I realize how righteous or just the anger is. It's very hard for me to live as a person with that emotion. Right, because life. you absorb the anger mm-hmm. and, and you don't know what to do with it because you don't. It's like, not even that I absorb your your anger. tiny body just doesn't have a space for anger in it. <laughs> it's it's not that because I agree with her. I don't I think anger is necessary for change. I think any change in the millennia that humans have existed has come out of anger. But I think that part of recognizing anger is recognizing every aspect of the way that it interacts with you. Like 
you can't tell other people how to be angry. I completely agree with that. I think that I feel anger more intensely than you. You feel more disappointment than I ever, than I probably ever have. I do feel disappointment a lot more. I also, when I am angry, the times in which I am angry, I do feel powerful, but they are almost universally succeeded by a panic attack or a panic attack or a breakdown or a depression or this like bad feeling in my gut. And so Audrey Lord, I understand her, but I also don't understand her. Mm -hmm. But I think that's part of what makes her powerful for me is that even if I cannot do something, I can support the people who can. So I kind of said this before, but I didn't explain it. I'm the Samwise Gamgee of social justice. I can support the people who can be angry and who can channel that anger into situations. I can make them tea. I can hang out with them. I can make their lives better. And I can do my own things. Like, I know a lot of people have social anxiety about calling on the phone. I don't. So I call my politicians all the time. I have fun names for them in my phone. Um, (laughs) I think understanding the uses of anger is understanding the use. I think it's, she's using anger the way Audre Lorde does in multiple meanings where it's not necessarily like bombastic, exploding anger. It's, it could be passion. It's intensity. It's like, I feel very intensely about injustice, but I wouldn't say necessarily that it's the same kind of, I think it's probably anger, but it's definitely a different anger than the way you feel about uh, social justice things. Um, My brain actually almost goes like, not logical, because anger is also logical. I hate, I hate it when people separate things from rationality and logic from emotions. That's what she complains about too. Exactly. That's why I don't like the Vulcans. Remember the first time I ever watched (laughs) Star Trek and I just went, I don't like Vulcans. Yeah, because, like, logic cannot exist independently of emotion. We don't work like that. And actually, when we try, like, with computers, they're really, really dumb because they can't make the connections that a human brain can. Right. Because they can't – because the way we understand context is, like, 90% our feeling about the context, and computers don't have it. So they're just like, if you don't tell me exactly what to do with no mistakes, I will throw a hissy fit and shut down on you. And I think the way that anger is presented is a very white male anger, like in terms of the way people understand it. It's yelling, it's hitting things, it's... It's toxic masculinity to the max. To go back to why I brought you into the conversation, imagine how someone who has like all of these experiences or even like me, I'm non-neurotypical and mixed race. Caitlin, you are non-neurotypical and technically white, but you have Jewish features, which have in the past been used against you, you know? So imagine Mm -hmm. that on top of this, on top of that, on top of this, imagine trying to control all of these things in your life. And like, I imagine Audre Lorde probably was. Audre Lorde was born like almost legally blind. Yeah. So her glasses are thick for a reason. So so, exactly. So, so she's not just from, from day one, the world was against her. And, and that's how it's been for all three of us too, because we're not straight white men, you know, from day one. But also this convert, this interaction, um, this is not tone policing listeners. If you are confused, universal accessibility is not policing somebody else. It's making a space inclusive. Also, it's equity, not equality. Yeah. If you are, if you need something to help you understand, if you, if you're like me and you just 
cannot handle, if your brain shuts down when you interpret someone as being angry, then don't put that on them because that is not their fault. What goes on in your head is not necessarily your fault, but the way you respond to it is the same as them responding to their anger. You do not control the emotions you are feeling any more than somebody who is angry can control that emotion. But what you can control is what you do. And what you do in that situation, if you are being overwhelmed by something, shouldn't be stop talking. What, uh, stop talking. I, I don't, it, I mean, it depends on the situation, but if you truly want to understand, say, I am sorry that I made you, that something I have done has made you so angry. I'm sorry I didn't listen. Can you explain it to me? There is a way to set a baseline tone for a conversation in which both people can come out of it having gained something, but you both have to agree to that tone and you can't expect somebody to take that tone unless you express that you would like to. And if you're expressing that in a unfair or gross way, then they do not have to take your tone. Maybe my brother should listen to this podcast. Also, tones are going to differ depending on the venue. If, yes. Like, as Caitlin said, she knows which venues she her brain won't shut down in. So don't go to, like, a Black Panther rally, right? Don't, where there might be guns, where there might be shouting, where, where it's, like, black power, fists up, angry, passion, like, at the system that you might look like you belong in. That might not be your place. You might want to go to a conference that Audre Lorde would attend and listen to her speak at a microphone. Go to a quiet venue where you could have a more in-depth conversation with an activist away from the stage, away from the personas, away from the mass following. There are instances where places like Ferguson needed to happened, the anger needed to be expressed. There are also places like this podcast where we can take a more in-depth, change the wording that we use, analyze and like really look deep in ourselves and how we interact with the system versus reacting against the system and and riots, which is um, the the words that are used by those who aren't listened to. The the reason that riots happen, the reason that anger explodes is because it wasn't heard when it started. Right, which is, as I, to even circle back around further, is what I was talking about earlier with that group that I was in. Yes, and and that's a problem that Audre Lorde talked about. She didn't look at anything as being separate. She didn't understand the false dichotomies that things were put against. So for her, poetry and theory fit in together. Um, there's a quote, actually, for the introduction. Audre Lorde informed me as we were working one afternoon that she doesn't write theory. I am a poet, she said. Lord's stature as a poet is undeniable, and yet there can be no doubt that Sister Outsider, a collection of essays and speeches drawn from the past eight years of this black lesbian feminist nonfiction prose, makes absolutely clear to me what that what some already knew. Audre Lorde's voice is central to the development of contemporary feminist theory. She is at the cutting edge of consciousness. And then it goes on to say, but what about the conflict between poetry and theory, between their separate and seemingly incompatible spheres? We've been told that poetry expresses what we feel, and theory states what we know, that the poet creates out of the heat of the moment, while the theorist's mode is, of necessity, cool and reasoned, that one is art and therefore experienced subjectively, and the other scholarship held accountable in the objective world of ideas. We've been told that poetry has a soul and theory has a mind. 
and that we have to choose between them. And Audre Lorde doesn't believe that, and Audre Lorde doesn't believe that we have to choose between certain emotions and that we have to choose between how we are activists as long as we are in our own way, whether it is calling or whether it is marching, whether it is giving money to people on strike so that they continue to strike for better work conditions, or whether it is inundating a politician's place with letters because you can't go on the phone because I can't go on the phone. I abhor, I abhor phone conversations, but I can write like nobody's business. <laughs> um, whether it's just talking in a circle with friends and trying to see how you can be connected or whether it is being a medic at a rally because you might be needed as a medic. You might be needed to have um, bandanas to cover people's eyes or water to give to people. Like there are or, things that you could or, do. Um, I like this one in particular, extra, extra, I guess scarves or shawls that uh, women in, in, I don't, I'm not sure I'm using the correct terminology, but women in hijabi, 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 because a lot of people like to pull those off their heads. And I think that that's real messed up, but I always carry extra stuff in my car and I try to carry extra stuff on me or wear extra layers so that just in case I see it happen, I can, you know, take that layer off and, and cover her, Yeah, you know? So yeah, just think about that as if, if you want to be that change in the world, then just think about that kind of thing. Think about um, changes that are, that may not be important to you as a person, but are definitely important to someone else. And you can make that difference in someone else's life, you know? Yeah. One of the best things is if like, I know a lot of people around our area struggle to get meals every day. So there are places that you can volunteer your time. If you can't volunteer money that provide meals, there are also ways that you can get gift cards to fast food restaurants. It's not going to cost you a whole lot, but it's not giving somebody cash that might tempt them to use it for things other than meals. This is something that they could get a drink of water or a burger, you know, like mm -hmm. small actions. One of my friends has like 15 of those gift cards in her car just in case she passes people at intersections that need them. And she just hands out like five and she knows that they'll get like five meals that week at least. You can also get gift cards from grocery stores. Yes. Yes. That's another important thing. It's not just money. <laughs> Audre Lorde was a socialist. It's not about capitalism for her. It's about caring for somebody, but also letting herself be heard. She did not ever let herself be silenced. And she was very angry at the white feminist movement. We didn't get to all of her essays. Definitely recommend checking out or purchasing Sister Outsider um, if you want to read more of her work. But she had a son and she wanted to take her son to a feminist conference, but that feminist conference was like, no men allowed. And she's like, I need my young son to understand what it's like to live in this world as a woman so that he can respect them. You know, and these are hard conversations that we have to have about where spaces, wh which lines are drawn at what spaces, because there should be spaces where you can be open and safe. And there should be spaces where you should let people in to build a larger community to do the hard work. Audre Lorde is very, very tough to get through sometimes, especially with the language that she uses, but she is one of the most accessible theorists I've ever encountered and one of my favorite scholars. And we've now probably spent a month of episodes <laughs> 
talking about her. So, yeah, so easily. please don't um don't stop don't listening. Stop we'll listening. get to someone else next. <laughs> we're we're gonna do Eileen Miles next, which I'm very excited about. Eileen Miles is I think our first gender neutral person on this podcast. Nice that we will the, uh, pay attention to. One of the reasons we tell you guys this a week ahead of time is is so that you can read along with us, by the way. So if you are interested in you know, finding these authors, um, we would absolutely love for you guys to read along with us. You want so, to say it? <laughs> yeah, so that's all for part, I don't know, three? Three or four? Whatever. Last but, part. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I will, uh, I'll edit it. I'll, I'll, I'll edit it in post. Um, <laughs> uh, part whatever of Audrey Lord. Uh, Cannon Fire was created by Caitlin Porter, Zoe Bergmeier Sweat, and G. Daly. Thank you, Alan Hardison, for uh, writing and recording our theme song. And thanks to Brittany Burrell for our banner art. If you want even more awesome content, you can donate as little as $2 to our Patreon. You'll get access to bonus content like uh, monthly, possibly drunken rants. Um, and also life updates, as well as a shout out on the podcast. Um, and this is just some of the awesome stuff that you can get from us. So go and check us out at patreon.com slash podcast forward slash podcast. Caitlin corrected me on that. So don't listen to me. Listen to Caitlin. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at cannonfirepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at CanonFirePod. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at CanonFirePodcast. And we also now have a Facebook listeners group um, that you can find from our Facebook page. It's called uh, CanonFire Listener Group, I think. Um, if you want any other resources or you want to view our transcripts, or you want to view some news on these authors, or again, you can get in touch with us here too. You can go to our website, which is canonfirepodcast.com. You can also listen to every single episode there. Um, if you like Canon Fire, we would be ever so grateful if you would subscribe and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts uh, and suggest us to a friend or a family member or make flyers and throw them out at your school. I don't I don't know what kids do these days because that is the best way to help our podcast grow. And remember, Western grammar is a white colonial construct. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.